Have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TickFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TickFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket, every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TickFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location. Pick the show you want and BAM! It's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts and more with TickFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TickFlix. That's TickFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. What's up, Nets fans? It's us again. It's the Nets Pulse Podcast as part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Brett, the man bun Garofalo, here with Carl, the talent Jackson. Carl, I am reluctant, terrified, almost ashamed to ask you this question. How are you? Baby, it's 2 a.m. I must be lonely. It's a... Uh... One eleven in the morning. We just watched the Nets lose to the Blazers in double overtime. And um, we're just not in a great place right now, <laughs> Brett. Uh, I mean, first up, I think the, the big headline from the game is uh, thoughts with Yusuf Nurkic, uh, who went down with a really nasty-looking ankle injury. Um you know, wish him a speedy recovery. Looks like he'll probably be out for the rest of the season in the playoffs. So that's really too bad. So bad they wouldn't even show the replay. That tells you how brutal it's going to be. And I'm sure I will, against my own better judgment, look it up on RNBA later and be sitting down when I watch it. But that was rough. So, Brett... I think, you know, we want to talk a little bit about this game in particular. And then, you know, later on, we have a pre-taped segment, which will have a little bit more energy um, talking through the remaining schedules of the Nets, the Charlotte Hornets, the Orlando Magic, the Miami Heat, and the Detroit Pistons, who are all battling for the six through eight seeds in the East. Um, Obviously, tonight was a particularly difficult night for the Nets playoff chances, given that they lose a, a heartbreaker here in Portland, and the Magic also beat the Philadelphia 76ers. I I, I dubbed this the Michael Carter-Williams revenge game. Look up how many points he had in that game. I didn't even realize he was still in the league. I thought that he had been dropped by teams, but I think he led the team, the Magic, in plus-minus tonight. Not great. I, I can certainly start with some silver linings as I feel like we might as well start with some of the positives. First silver lining is the West coast road trip is over. Carl, we don't have to be up past 1am watching games anymore. That's a big one. I, I, I enjoyed my last uh, West coast basketball induced afternoon coffee today. So that is a positive. We can all, we can, we can all just get a little bit more sleep. Uh, our reactions don't have to be, uh, I don't, I don't mean a hallucinogenic, so to speak. So at least there's that. Um, I would say another positive takeaway from the game tonight was this was Karis LeVert's best game since coming back from injury. All around. yeah. Seven assists, one turnover, led the team in plus minus 16 points, shot over 50% from the field, was one of the few players on the team to hit his free throws and, he was playing down the stretch. I think they took him out between the, the five and the six minute mark, and he hit some pretty key buckets. He looked spry out there, for sure. No, and it, and it is very exciting and encouraging to you know see him back, you know, being effective and, and getting back into a rhythm. And if he can get back into a rhythm, you know, the Nets have some big games coming up, um, including you know several at home. So it'll be good to to see him unleashed a little bit. Yeah, and I, this. I, I want to call it a little bit about his injury too. I've, I've seen a lot of 
overreactions to his play since coming back from injury. And I, I totally understand the frustration with Nets fans because for the most part, up until tonight's game, when he was on the floor, he was hurting our team more than helping it. And while I think we all know that it's better long-term for Karras to be in there and not only playing himself back into shape, but learning how to play with Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and our best players, because if the Nets are going to reach their final form, so to speak, all those players are going to need to be on the floor playing team basketball and having a positive differential. So it's been frustrating to watch him negatively affect those lineups. And I'm not saying that he's been losing us games, but I just, I get the negativity and the, Hey, is he ever going to come back? Um, what What's up with Karis? I just, want to remind Nets fans that there is no precedent for the type of injury that Karis LeVert had in NBA history. I did some research on this and there's a, there's a site out there that's a sports doctor that runs through, Hey, this was an injury that just happened in X league. Here's the history of the players that have had it. And here's how long it takes to recover with Karis's. There were only two players in all the major sports that had had it. And they were both in the NFL. One of them was Robert Griffin, the third, which is, not the uh, not the most positive comparison to make, but in many cases, everybody was able to make a full recovery, but it took about two years. So we, we, we need to give Kara some time and understand the frustration, but it's going to be a while. And in reality, we don't really know how long it's going to take him to come back to form. Yeah, and I think like, you know, watching him, it's been impressive how physically he's been able to kind of bounce back. I mean, I think he's gotten to his spots on his drives pretty well. He's he's gotten around people. He's he's gotten to the rim. I think he's struggled finishing. And it looks sort of like the mental aspect of it and, and the timing aspect of it is is what's kind of holding him up. And I think for a player who's really his game is based around kind of timing and hesitation and and doing things kind of right when the defender's anticipating that he's not going to do them, um, you know, making sure that he, that he's comfortable with that timing is, is pretty important. Yeah. It, there's a bone in between your heel and the two bones that make up your shin. That bone basically was out of place. He, he could have touched his heel bone to his leg bones, the bones that make up your shin, and he's back on the court driving to the rim with reckless abandon. We need to appreciate this and understand that he, he's probably going to be back way ahead of schedule. That is that is very true. I think you know the other silver lining to take from this is looking at the kind of schedule that that the Nets have going forward, and and looking at what they've done on this road trip. You know, this was a this was a game that we would have penciled in as a probably a game that would have been a loss from the beginning of this trip. I think knowing that CJ McCollum wasn't playing definitely meant it was one that they could have stolen. And given the way that they did play for most of the game, it was one that they should have stolen. But, um, you know, I think all things considered, there are opportunities to steal more games coming up. And that's something that we'll get into as we deep dive through the schedule. Um, but I think, you know, if we want to look at some of the darker clouds, uh, if you want to look at a sequence in which this game really fell apart for the Nets, you can look at the fourth quarter and you can look at what happened on the free throw line. Um, there was a point at which, you know, I guess they were going back and forth and, and you know, tied pretty closely. Uh, Jared Allen made one of two free throws. The Nets got a stop. D'Angelo Russell made one of two free throws. Portland tied it up. And then coming back, you know, D'Angelo Russell turned it over. Um, the the Blazers didn't. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting my my sequence of events uh, <laughs> up here. I don't want to uh, remember it either, Carl. So yeah, and just remember, I'm I'm an hour ahead of you too, so I've still got an hour of energy. <laughs> so I mean, it was I think it's just the missed free throws and the turnover down the stretch. Um, and I think the free throw thing is becoming a little bit of a recurring chronic problem for this team. Um, you know, I was running the numbers and if you look at where the nets sit in terms of free throw percentage on the year, um, and you compare that to where they sit over the last few games, they're, they're pretty low in the rankings, uh, over the last 10 games, I think all games in terms of free throw percentage, they're 24th, which is not great. Um, and then if you if you look at the last ten games, they're they're down to twenty eighth. 
So it's definitely something I think as we go down the stretch and look at a team that's trying to ice games and um, you know put put teams away. That's a concern. It's a big concern. We were thirty one of forty four as a team from the line tonight. And there there were certainly some dumb mistakes made that you can point back to Dinwiddie fouling and double overtime when we still had the game within one possession to put the Blazers on the line. But really, you make one or two more free throws, and this game ends in regulation. And that's asking us to shoot league average from the line. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you're looking at a situation where they made two of four, if they made three of four, um, which, you know, the percentages don't matter for something of that small of a sample, but that would be a big difference. I think the other thing that's worth noting um, is it's, you know, the Nets have kind of developed a reputation over the course of the season as more of an offensive team. And, and we've noticed kind of of late, the defense has been a little bit better. Um, I thought the defense was was really good today. I thought the Nets did a good job, you know, particularly after uh, Ed Davis fouled out, which was which was another huge blow. Um, and also, I think, a terrible call that they, that they fouled him out on. Um but I think if you look at the defense that they played down the stretch, if you looked at the effort that they put into gang rebounding, like I think that was there. Um, the offense has been what fails them, and particularly the offense down the stretch. And I think you know, as good as individuals have been on the Nets, you know, particularly D'Angelo Russell, I, you know, I think that there's the ball sticks a lot late in games. Um, I think there are you know five or six straight possessions in overtime in particular where. You know, D'Angelo Russell is just dribbling and, you know, settling for a mid-range jumper or a deep mid-range jumper. And I think it's okay that he takes mid-range jump shots. I think it's okay that he takes floaters. I think, you know, the offense can kind of be reworked to, to fit with those shots, particularly because he hits them pretty efficiently. I think what he needs to take as a next step is understanding sort of when our situations where it's acceptable to settle for those types of shots because either the defense giving it to you or, um, you know, it's, it's earlier in a game. And then winter situations where you really need to work a little bit harder to either get to the rim or set the table for your teammates to get an open three. Yeah. I, I think we all love D'Lo. We all love the season that he's having. It's been such a feel good story for the nets, but as, as a nets fan down the stretch, I couldn't find myself not rooting for him to pass Spencer Dinwiddie the ball because it seemed like every time he would give it up and get it to Spencer, Spencer was immediately getting to the rim and at least getting some sort of high percentage look or a shot at getting fouled. Now, there were a couple plays where he seemed to be facing the Blazers bench in the air and threw a layup about 150 miles off the backboard where you and I just had to laugh afterwards, but he at least sets the offense in motion and keeps the defense on their toes a little bit more than D'Angelo Russell when it seemed like D'Lo was getting to the rim on a smart cut or a broken play versus able to do that himself down the stretch. Now, I don't want to seem like I'm beating a dead horse by bringing up the D'Lo can't get to the rim type thing. I think he did that very well throughout the game. It just seemed like maybe he was tired at the end of the game or when defenses were really locking in in crunch time, maybe it was a bit tougher. And I did see a lot of double teams being thrown at him because like you said, it became pretty obvious that he wanted to be the one to make the play at the end of the game. And he wasn't necessarily looking to pass and that hurt the Nets a bit. Yeah. And I think it's the Nets situation is kind of an interesting one where I think culturally every, everybody fits. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's really like an ego problem um, no. in terms of who's going to take the last shot. But I do think that there's a little bit of a basketball fit, not problem, but just redundancy to be solved. And, you know, I think the guy I kind of look at is like, you know, I look at sort of what Joe Harris has been able to do in maturing as an off the ball player. Um, I also look at what Joe Harris did kind of in this game where it was certainly not his best game. Um, and I wonder if there's an opportunity to, in the coming years, you know, work with either Dinwiddie or, or D'Angelo Russell to, to gain some of those off ball skills that Joe Harris has shown. So that, because I think like what I see right now is, Joe is working so incredibly hard for every shot that he gets and every basket that he gets running off cuts, you know, constantly moving. And the Nets just 
don't really have anybody else that that they're running in in that way. Um, and, and I'm not I'm not questioning anybody's effort or anything like that. I think it's it's purely like a strategic play. Um, it's just interesting to me that that type of motion isn't happening with with anyone else. And and today I thought you know they were able to get the ball to him a lot more than than they have in previous games. Um, he didn't shoot it particularly well. He was one of six from three, uh, which may, may lower his league leading percentage. Um, and you know he he just looks like the schedule is wearing him down a little bit. I think the schedule is wearing everybody on the Nets down a little bit. We're, we're a team that plays so frantic, a team that plays so hard, a team that's made our our calling card being scrappy, never giving up. And even though we play so many guys and do our best to put folks on a minutes restriction, uh, a lot of these players haven't played these type of minutes and haven't had to go down a stretch and have every uh, possession of every game mean something before and i think it's it's probably weighing on the team a bit emotionally and it's it's not a bad thing it's a good thing these players have to learn this and if we're really focused on long-term development in games like this and learning how tough going down a stretch run is when you are trying to make the playoffs and seeding is something that matters to you versus hey you know let's uh try a few innovative things out and see if they uh, can be incorporated into the offense next season or play our young players a little bit more or uh, let's try zone for the hell of it because we're down 385 points to the the Rockets. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, and I think it's a team, you know, I think, I think it's a team that, like you said, you know, prides itself on playing hard. And I, you know, I guess the other silver lining that you take from this game is despite some mistakes, despite some missed opportunities, you know, you can't say that they didn't show up and you can't say that they didn't fight and scrap because this game was an absolute fist fight for a lot, a large portion of it. Um, and I think the Nets who, frankly, in the first game after the All-Star break in Barclays Center against Portland just got bullied. Uh, they did not get bullied today. They stood up. They fought back. You saw, you know, tons of guys on this team scrapping for rebounds. Um, Joe Harris, D'Angelo Russell, you know, Damari Carroll. You, you saw both centers foul out. And the Nets kind of hold their own with Carol and Jerry Dudley at, you know, a double forward front court. So, you know, you got to tip your hat to that. Um, you know, I think it's the end of a long road trip. I think everybody shows signs of fatigue. Uh, you know, they had a cross country flight, a couple days off, big game in Philly on Thursday. Uh, Philly who, you know, couldn't, you know, do us the favor of beating the magic today. So, you know, you regroup and you come back and, uh, you see, and you know, I guess that's about all there is to say about that game. <laughs> Are you talking about us or the Nets? Uh, I, I'm, I'm mostly talking about the Nets, but I, I do feel a certain sense of fatigue as well myself. <laughs> I think you and I really need to uh, to regroup, reassess a few things after uh, staying up staying up late to watch all the dumb decisions that were made on both sides. A uh, uh, harrowing injury. Um, watching CJ McCollum dancing like he was in a 90 or wearing a, an outfit that looked like he was in a 90s hip hop video. And as you pointed out, Alan Crabb sitting on the bench wearing a Honda Motors hoodie. Yeah, real big contrast between, uh, you know, Damari Carroll after the Lakers game dressed up like Sergeant Slaughter at a rave. Um, and with a turt, with a, with a, like some sort of a, Jimi Hendrix headband and then you know Alan Crabb just kicking it in a Honda Motors hoodie you know it's about it's about time you said something Carl because he's doing this every day he's out here doing it every single day and he's been waiting for you to notice Damari Carroll yeah yeah Damari Carroll looks like he'll sell you more than an alligator now (laughs) it's uh it's it's something else when 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 I see pictures of Damari Carroll's post game outfits, I'm like, oh, the kids are doing acid these days, huh? <laughs> oh God, I I needed I needed a little bit of this after that game. Thank you, <laughs> and like not him specifically, just like you know the kids. Just right, like when you watch music videos from a different era, and you're like, oh, they did different drugs then. It's like, oh, okay, psychedelics. Those yeah, are absolutely. Cool. You know, we're we're in, we're in an important stretch of games here. Yeah, yeah. and Damari Carroll's Duke. Right. <laughs> I'm colorblind, kid. All right. Brett, I think we need to toss it over to ourselves. Um, 
So obviously, I think you know with the with the loss, I b- believe the Nets retained possession of sixth place. No, nope, uh, NBA app has them dropping to seventh. So Nets are thirty-eight and thirty-seven, five hundred seven win percentage, identical to Detroit, who's thirty-seven and thirty-six. Uh, they hold tiebreakers over Detroit, Orlando. Uh, they're tied with Charlotte in terms of head-to-head record, and they are can even the head-to-head record with Miami uh, during their game on April 10th. I think we'll turn it over to ourselves to do a deep dive through the schedule of all of the Eastern Conference contenders for the six to eight playoff seeds. And uh, hopefully we'll drop a little knowledge on you. And hey, we'll live to fight another day. You heard it here first, another turnover. <laughs> All right, Brett. Let's talk playoff push, schedule time. Let's get down to it. What do you got? Carl, there's been a, a heated debate on Nets Twitter as to whether or not Nets fans should be paying any attention to the scores of the teams we're competing with for the final three playoff spots in the East. It's tough to come up with topics of conversation for a podcast when you're recording two 40-minute episodes a week. So Nets Twitter fam, we're here. And I think by uh, nature rather than nurture, we're going to be talking about the schedule tonight. Carl, I know you did a deep dive into not only the playoff odds, but also maybe some advanced statistics as to how each of the teams plus the Nets that we're competing with down the stretch look. Is there anything that you would like to highlight before we really go uh, maybe way too deep into the schedule down the stretch uh well i'd just like to highlight that this is an entirely pointless endeavor because it was made on a pre orlando magic are going to win every single fucking game from here on out model so um just you know this these projections take place in a rational world in which fucking sasha vujicic is not the mvp of the league and every single player on the opposing team doesn't get gastroenteritis like ben simmons did today uh when playing them so take these with that grain of salt, and uh, and let's get down to it. If it's if it's not obvious by Carl's by Carl's vitriol in those statements, we are recording this after what is now being dubbed the Michael Carter Williams revenge game. Ben Simmons out with gastroenteritis for the 76ers. Michael Carter Williams coming which, in. To be to be clear, Brett, that that's a hangover, right? <laughs> it has to be a hangover. Either that or you'll be staying up too late playing Fortnite with Carl Anthony Towns. I can picture it now. Ben, who are you playing tomorrow? Uh, we're playing the Magic. Yeah, yeah, cool. You can stay up for a few more hours. <laughs> All right. No, you can't, Ben. So here's here's how I think this makes sense. Um, we're going to look at there, – there are four teams competing for three – or excuse me, four teams competing for t- three remaining playoff spots – We've got the Pistons, we've got the Nets, we've got the Heat, we've got the Magic, and we've got the Hornets. JK, that was five teams the whole time. Math, Correct. not my thing. Um, so I think what we'll do is let's take a walk through everybody's remaining schedules. Let's look at you know where the projections are, um, both from Basketball Reference and from 538. And you know let's talk about games that we feel like are flippable. And let's talk uh, some tiebreakers at the end for, for a couple of different scenarios. So let's start with the Pistons. The Pistons are currently in the seventh seed because the Nets uh, over or they were overtaken by the Nets last night when they lost to Golden State. Their playoff odds uh, sit or are the highest of, of any of these teams. They sit at eighty nine point seven on Basketball Reference and. I clearly have the wrong note down there for 538 because that says 46. So um, above 99, I believe, on, on 538.com. Wow. There, so so a couple – just a quick word about the projections. So the 538 projection system um, projects each game, and then they have a separate projection for sort of overall wins and losses. So if you go game by game, that doesn't necessarily match their kind of final total projection. So I'll call out both numbers here. So their 538 projection is 42 and 40. Um, if you go game by game, you get 243 and 39. They are projected to finish sixth by both of those metrics. The games that they have remaining are at Denver, home versus the Magic, 
home versus the Blazers with a rest advantage, at Indiana, home for Indiana, at the Thunder, home for the Hornets, home for Memphis, and then they close things out on a second game of a back-to-back, but against the New York Knicks. Which, frankly, they might have a harder time closing things out against the Westchester Knicks at this point. The Knicks might pioneer the first four-man unit for the entire game. Or they might start Spike Lee. If there is any chance of them slipping farther away from a percentage point at getting that number one pick, they might start three players. Literally, it it might happen. So looking at the game-by-games... Um, 538 has them losing to Denver, beating the Magic, beating the Blazers, splitting that home and home against the Pacers, losing to the Thunder, beating the Hornets, beating Memphis, and beating the Knicks. Hmm. Um, you know, I think looking down those odds, you know, there are a couple, there are a couple fair callouts for them to lose. I mean, I think that Denver game would be tough. Although Denver, Denver was not clicking on all cylinders to finish their road trip, um, but you you'd have to think getting back home. They might. Um, it would be huge, I think, for the Nets, for the Pistons to beat the Magic on the 28th. To split with the Pacers, I could kind of go either way. Um, at the Thunder's tough. And then, you know, Memphis and the Knicks to close out the year, you, you got to think those are two wins. I don't know, Brett, do you, do you see any of those games flipping? Not really. And as I'm looking at this, are we going to have to be rooting for the Pistons down the stretch to help take out the Hornets and the Magic for the Nets? I think we kind of do. The one kind of saving grace of, of this sort of schedule, this is like a rat king of, of schedule analysis that we've done here. <laughs> the one saving grace of it is that these teams do play each other head-to-head a lot, and the Nets are kind of away from that. Aside from the Nets closing the season with their last game against the Heat, with the Heat on the second game, second half of a back-to-back in Barclays Center, The Nets do not play the Pistons, Magic, or Hornets uh, at all. And they already hold tiebreakers against the Pistons and the Magic. They are tied with Charlotte, and they can play themselves into a tie with the Heat. So I I think it would be best for the Nets if the Pistons knocked off both the Magic and the Hornets. I think I would – if you gave me the option of of gunning for the sixth seed or conceding that to the Pistons, knowing that they would beat both of those teams, I would – root for them to beat both of those teams 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sunday. I'm right there with you. And I think if they end up beating both of those teams, the two games that I could see flipping are Wednesday, the third against the Pacers and then Tuesday, the ninth against the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies have played teams incredibly tough recently. And despite that near win versus again the magic and this is going to be a theme throughout this podcast our anger towards the schedule of god's favorite magic down the stretch oh that was awful but chandler parsons is back baby and he looks pretty good he had a he had an amazing fourth quarter versus the versus the magic Uh, he was hitting shots uh, he was driving to the rim i think he got a dunk at one point they're playing hard and even though i think they have to they have to slip into what the top five to keep that pick. There's been talk that this year is the year to give up that pick because the draft is so weak. So they might as well get rid of it this year, play hard down the stretch and then have their pick next year when the draft is a little bit stronger. So if that is looking like they could give up the pick this year, I think they might still be playing hard on that night. It's a good point. And, and I think with Mike Conley too, like, you know, they have veteran leadership, you know, they're going to play hard. All right. So let's move on to Miami real quick. So Miami is currently 36 and 37. They're in the eighth seed. They are projected uh, by Carmelo to go 40 and 42, which is a tie for seventh with the Nets. Um, Game by game projects them to go 39 and 43, uh, which is good enough for eighth uh, below the the Nets. Um, Their playoff make odds from 538 are 58%. Their playoff make odds for basketball reference are 64.7%. So they are the favorite right now for the eighth seed, those numbers have not been adjusted following the Magic's upset of the 76ers. So their games are, they play tomorrow night against Orlando. So Orlando does have a back-to-back, um, and they have to travel to Miami, although they're just traveling from Orlando. So aside from, you know, hazardous alligators, 
uh, along the highway, there's not that's not a, that's not a terrible road trip. Um, so they play home for the Magic, home for the Mavs, home for the Knicks. Starts off pretty nicely for them, then it gets a little more treacherous. Uh, they have a home and home at the Celtics, home for the Celtics. They go on the road to play the Timberwolves. They go on the road to play the Raptors. They come home to play Philly, and then they go on a back-to-back to play the Nets to close out the, the season. Um, looking at the projections game by game, they're projected to beat the Magic. They're projected to beat the Magic, the Mavs, and the Knicks. Lose both games to the Celtics. Lose to the Wolves, which I questioned the validity of that projection. Uh, lose to the Raptors. Lose to Philly. And lose to the Nets. Um, I think one, one note is that April 10th, mark your calendars, big day, uh, for this race in the East, because we've got Miami at the Nets, uh, Miami coming in with a second game of a back-to-back and we've got Orlando at the Hornets, uh, the Hornets coming in on the second game of back-to-back. So a lot can be decided there and we'll get into some scenarios there in a minute. Brett, which of these games do you see flipping? I could see quite a few of those flipping, Carl. Reason being, the 538 projections also don't take into account injuries and players recovering from injuries. The Heat are fully healthy for the first time all season. Goran Dragic has looked like 60% of his old self. Dion Waiters is back taking contested three after contested three. They have looked stronger recently with some pretty prominent road wins, and I think they're going to be able to flip a couple of those losses into wins, most particularly like you called out the Wolves. But I also think the Celtics are going to be pretty settled into their ways at that point because there's no true difference between the four and five seed for them. And there's a pretty big gap between five and six. So they're not going to have much to play for down the stretch being settled into their playoff matchup. I could see them either reducing their stars minutes, resting players in those games, and the Heat at least winning one of those games against the Celtics. So I could see them taking two more wins than 538 is projecting them to have and finishing at 42 and 40. So I think that's working against the Nets. One thing working for the Nets is I was taking a look at rest advantages because you inspired me with that tweet the other day talking through the Nets' rest advantages going down the stretch. The Heat are the only team out of the Nets, Magic, Hornets, Pistons, and Heat that have zero zero rest advantages down the stretch. And they actually have one game where they're minus one day of rest versus the 76ers. So that's something that's working in our favor, but 538 projections I think are wrong. And I think the heat will finish above 500 given them being fully healthy and given the Celtics resting players. Yeah, they do. They do have, um, they have one rest advantage against Orlando tomorrow. So Orlando's coming off the second, second game of a back to back in the heat, um, or not. They've actually they have quite a bit of rest, um, so. But a good good point there. Um, that, that's my fault. I was looking from Thursday on. I didn't take into account Monday, yeah, Tuesday, no. or Wednesday. So I'm going to skip straight to Charlotte, and then we'll come back to the hated Magic. Um, so Charlotte right now is 34 and 39. They're in. They're the. They would be the. 10th seed if seeds went so low. Um, their Carmelo projection is 37 and 45. Their game by game projection is 37 and 45. The Carmelo projection is good for 10th. The game by game is good for 9th. Their playoff make odds are sitting at 13% per 538, 17.4% per basketball reference, and they would be even worse had Jeremy Lamb not thrown in an absolute prayer from three feet beyond the arc last night, which I mean, I tweeted out the I'm not even mad that's amazing gift from Anchorman. That was freaking incredible. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that was awesome to watch. That that was one of those. I, I don't even think Nets fans were angry after that. We were just in awe. That was the play of the season, hands down. There is no play that was better than that. I don't care what dunk you want to call out, what crazy layup, what other game winner. That was incredible. Okay. So let's take a quick run through Charlotte's schedule. So they are home for San Antonio. Then they then they have actually a fairly treacherous West Coast swing at the Lakers, at the Warriors, at the Jazz on a back-to-back. That Lakers, that Warriors-Jazz back-to-back is pretty roof. Uh, at the Pelicans, and they're home for the Raptors on April 5th. Go to, the, to Detroit, to Cleveland, and close things out home for the Magic on the second game of the back-to-back. Um, if we look through those projections, they are projected to beat the Spurs, projected to lose to the Lakers, which I will flag. 
uh, just given how thoroughly disinterested LeBron James and company looked when they played us the other night. Uh, they are projected to lose to the Jazz, which seems reasonable, projected to lose to the Pelicans, which seems less reasonable, projected to lose to the Raptors, projected to lose to the Pistons, projected to beat the Cavs, and projected to beat the Magic. The Lakers are one of the most confusing teams. They looked completely disinterested against the Nets, especially after our game plan to let JaBale McGee run amok while the Nets double and triple teamed LeBron and Kyle Kuzma of all players. And then the Lakers come back and beat the still clinging on to playoff hope Kings a couple days later. So I, I'm not really sure what to make of this Lakers team, and I'm hoping that they make this one of the nights that they seem slightly interested in winning a basketball game. It's true. Don't discount the possibility that we just broke the Kings with, with that comeback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there, I think there's a few flippable games in here. You know, they could, they could beat the Lakers. They could beat um, the Pelicans. You know, they, they have Kemba Walker who, you know, of the guys on these teams, I think, you know, you could, you can talk about D'Angelo Russell um, in that conversation with him. I don't think there's anybody else really more impactful on a game on Orlando, on the heat. I, I would put him over Blake Griffin at this point. I think it's just him and D'Lo. So, um, you know, you can't, can't fully count him out there. We know that he's gone on runs uh, in, uh, in late March before, Um but I don't 100% see the playoffs in the cards for the Hornets. Uh, I don't know your thoughts. Him and Jeremy Lamb have gone on runs in late March before. That's uh, true. Beating uh, Kawhi Leonard as well, but that's a different story. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. Uh, I there There are some definite losses on this schedule, such as that Monday 4-1 game against the Jazz where they have minus two days of rest for, versus the Jazz in Utah, that's going to be a brutal game for them. Anybody that was playing on watching. Yeah, coming off playing the – unless unless they just like roll out like Muggsy Bogues against the Warriors. like <laughs> There's no way. Del Curry, Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> Larry Johnson. Baron Davis on, on uh, roller Elton. skates. Stacey Emeka Okafor. It'll be it'll be an old home week. Oh, primos, Brett. I could just keep going on this. I I I I also, if I had to pick somebody to drop out of this race, given the amount of road and away games coming up for the Hornets, they only have two home games coupled with six away games if we're looking from Thursday on, plus those definite losses versus the Jazz on the second night of a back-to-back where they'll probably be coming off of a loss versus the Warriors unless the Nuggets lose three or four games in a row and that one seed is locked up and the the Warriors are starting. I don't even know who their bench players are at this point. They're starting Andrew Bogut and the rest of the Australian All-Stars. I, I just don't know. Dude, is, is Mitch Creek going to defect? Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Bogut, Mitch Creek, and uh, uh, Sean Livingston, baby. Yeah, there you go. All right. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're in alignment there on on Charlotte. So let's move on to the hate our hated foes, the Orlando Magic, who are currently thirty six and thirty eight. Uh, their Carmelo projection has them at thirty nine and forty three, which is good for ninth. Their game by game projection thirty seven and forty five, but I guess that would have to be updated to. 38 and 44, uh, which would be still good for ninth, I think, either way. Uh, playoff make odds, again, this is before they beat Philly tonight, so their playoff make odds did stand at 46%, uh, 538, and 32% of basketball reference. Their games are at Miami tomorrow, at the Pistons, at the Pacers, at the Raptors, home for the Knicks, home for the Hawks at Boston, and then closing out the season at the Hornets uh, with a rest advantage there. So we've already talked about it, the fact that they're just not losing another game for the rest of the season. Do you have any other thoughts? We live in a world where the Orlando Magic are our bitter rivals, and I couldn't be happier that we're in that world. It is so much better than winning 12 games in a season. So I'm here. I'm out here for that. Okay, Magic, bring it on. You guys are the new Raptors to the Nets. The only saving grace looking at their schedule is that they have only two home games remaining, but that is it. 
they have the least amount of games left from Thursday on tied with Brooklyn at seven. So they're going to have the most amount of rest and they have zero rest disadvantages going down the stretch. This is set up for the Orlando magic to be a quote unquote Cinderella team that makes an epic run at the end of the season. And everybody thinks that they've turned things around when in reality, the schedule gods just handed them a very, very nice end of the season. Yeah, I mean, the, so so again, they, they they do have a second game of a back to back tomorrow. Tomorrow, Miami, yeah. So that that's a that's kind of a, a good one to watch. Um, you know, I could. You, this we'll know a lot more about them by the end of this week, I think, because at Miami on Tuesday, at the Pistons on Thursday, and at the Pacers on Saturday are the tough that's the toughest stretch that they face so if they go through that three and oh we're in deep shit if they go through that two and one we might need to you know we 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 hope that they take out the heat um and if they go oh and three or, or one and two you know we got we got something to work with um Obviously, the Nets, you know, control their own destiny and they can win, but but their schedule is tougher. We'll let's spin through that pretty quickly. I think we're all pretty familiar with it. Um, obviously, we are recording this during the Blazers game, so we'll have talked about that before this segment. Uh, the Nets play at Philly on Thursday, home for the Celtics next Saturday, home for Milwaukee on Monday. Both of those games are with the rest advantage play Toronto Wednesday 4-3. They go on a road back-to-back at Milwaukee, at Indiana on Saturday and Sunday. And then they come home Wednesday, April 10th, against Miami with a rest advantage. And that might be the day that everything goes down. I feel like we've beaten this schedule to absolute death, but do you have any do you have any other thoughts there? Uh, I mean, we've got the least amount of games remaining by one over those teams. We've got two games remaining where we have two plus days of rest advantage, not just one. So those are pretty big games. And one of those is against the Celtics who, like I said earlier, may be locked into that four or five matchup and making sure that Gordon Hayward, Kyrie Irving, and the rest of the team is not just physically healthy, but also mentally healthy, given a lot of things they've been saying to the press recently. Those those could end up being, or at least the Celtics games could end up being easier wins than we think. The Raptors look like they're going to still try to make a push at the one seed, so I don't anticipate the Bucks truly resting players, and the Nets seem to have trouble against them anyway. So I think both of those games are going to be tough, but I think at least that one Celtics game is going to be a little bit easier than we think. Yeah, I mean, I think in an ideal world, you, I mean, the, the the one good news I think from a, from just like the five thirty eight projection perspective. So, so I, I didn't mention it, but the Nets have eighty eight percent playoff odds per five thirty eight, eighty eight point seven per Basketball Reference, and five thirty eight projects them to go forty one and forty one per Carmelo, but per the actual games, thirty nine and forty three. So, you know, I think that there's something to the fact that the Nets are in the sixth seed right now. So, you know, if, if everybody, you know, played roughly the same down the stretch, you know, they, they would, they would be in a positive position. Um, they, you know, there's, they have three games with a rest advantage, which I think is, you know, a, a big, a big positive for them. Um, and they, they do pretty well when we get into tiebreakers, which, which we can get into in a second. So I definitely think that there's some stealable games for them. I think the Celtics game you called out, I think the, the Raptors game particularly, if there's not much to play for, um, you could get lucky on either either Milwaukee game because Milwaukee is on the second game of the back-to-back when the Nets play them on um, April 1st. So, so, you know, there's a possibility there. And they do have the heat on the second game of a back-to-back on the 10th to close things out. And Indiana could be locked into that four slot too. I, I think there's they're falling further and further back from the 76ers. There's really not much difference between that four and five seed outside of having that game seven at home where Indiana might be motivated to grab that home court advantage after losing to the Cavaliers in uh, 
in Cleveland last year in that seventh game. But that's that's really all I could see flipping based on how the seeding and the gaps between these teams, particularly the top four teams in the East, shake out down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, I think the good news with the Nets is, like, I think if you win two, so so if you assume that you win that Heat game, and I think that Heat game is incredibly important to actually win that as a head-to-head matchup, if you win two others, you're probably feeling pretty good, and that doesn't seem that ridiculous. Um, the reason that that Heat game is so important head-to-head is when we start getting into tiebreakers. So the Nets are in a good position in that they hold head-to-head tiebreakers with the Pistons and the Magic. They're tied head-to-head with Charlotte, and they are down head-to-head 2-1 to one to Miami, so they could even that by winning on 410. The bad news is, uh, Brett, were you aware that the NBA still had divisions as part of the conferences? I didn't even know we still had conferences. So... I know that we have conferences because people keep talking about abolishing them, but but there are also divisions, which seems like you know something that would have been important when players traveled by rail, um, but you know doesn't seem like it's been important since say 1960. Um, but we do, and unfortunately, uh, the teams vying for these last slots are one team from the Atlantic Division, which is Brooklyn, one team from the Central Division, which is Detroit, and three teams from the Southeast Division, which are Charlotte, Orlando, and Miami. And that comes into play because the two-team, the, the tiebreakers for a two-team tiebreaker are head-to-head record number one. Number two is uh, if there's a division winner. And one of those teams, Charlotte, Orlando, or Miami, despite their best efforts, are guaranteed to be a division winner. So that's something to keep in mind, and particularly as you get into a three-way tie. Because should there be a three-way tie, if one of those teams is a division winner, that team automatically makes the playoffs out of that three-team group. Or, or automatically, you know, gets elevated out of that three-team group. So the two-team tiebreaker, I think, comes into play for the Nets. If you, if you think about it, it really only comes into play if they're tied for... It, it, it can knock them, I think, from the 6th to the 8th or the 7th or the to the 8th, but it probably doesn't knock them out of the playoffs because if you assume that Detroit is in, um, one of those other teams has to be in ahead of the Nets. So if they were tied for the 8th seed with a team from the Southeast, they couldn't get bumped down because they're a division winner. So that's one thing to take solace in. Um, I think the... The other thing to take solace in is uh, conference record is also used in those head-to-head tiebreakers. And right now, the Nets sit pretty well there. They are 25-20 and 20 with seven games to play against the Eastern Conference. The Heat are 21-24 and 24 with seven games to play, so pretty big gap to fill there. Uh, the Magic are 24-20 and 20 now with nine to play, so they're, in a, they're probably in, a, in just as good, if not a better position than the Nets. And the Hornets are 26-22 and 22 with four to play. So a lot of, a lot of minutia, a lot of detail. Um, so I guess what we're looking to get out of this is, you know, paths that the Nets have forward into the playoffs and then who we should be rooting for as Nets fans. I really think that that's the value that we can bring Nets fans by going through all of this schedule minutia because I think at the end of the day, Nets fans know as long as we win games, we're the ones in the driver's seat. And if we win the same amount of games as two of these teams, then we're going to make the playoffs and two of these teams are not. If we can just keep it as simple as that. But I think you and I are both hoping for a ray of hope, a little bit of light in the darkness that is the cave of our final stretch. And there didn't seem to be that much when we were looking at this, particularly looking at the Orlando Magic, our heated rivals schedules. Uh, I, I mean, I think you did a little bit more research on this than I did, but if you, if you were Nets fans right now, who would you be rooting for given the number of head-to-heads these teams face down the stretch? So I, I am a Nets fan, and I am—I mean, I am rooting for, I think, the, the Pistons, number one. Um, I think the Nets don't play the Pistons anymore. I, I, as I said before, I would much rather sacrifice the sixth seed and make the playoffs. Um, so them winning, you know, given that they have games against Orlando— um, they play the Hornets, you know, 
them winning those two games, I think, is hugely important. And then I would go ahead and tentatively root for probably the winner of the of the Miami Orlando game tomorrow. Ideally, it would be Miami, and the reason that I say that is because the Heat are the one team that the Nets actually do play, and so if they're a game back or um, you know they're they're tied. They, they have the opportunity to break that tie on the final day of the season. Um, but also because, you know, the Heat play, the Heat just play the Magic and the Nets, so they don't really play Charlotte. I'm less worried about Charlotte, honestly. Charlotte is the only team that, like, when I looked at their schedule, it actually sort of materially changed my opinion. And that's just because that West Coast swing that they have is pretty tough. And given that they're playing from so far behind, it, um, it makes me a little bit more comfortable despite the, the half-court buzzer beater. So it looks like the schedule is going to force the Hornets to drop out, and no argument there. They have some brutal games down the stretch, particularly around the West Coast. I completely agree with you on rooting for the Heat because even if they drop out of the playoff race, they're still going to have that emotional driver that's going to keep them playing hard, this being Dwayne Wade's final season. So if they're out, if they're in, that last game, could potentially either A, be Dwayne Wade's last game ever, B, a chance to send Dwayne Wade into the playoffs for his final season, or C, a chance to jockey with the Nets and potentially knock us out of the playoffs in the final game of the season. So they're going to be playing hard in that game regardless, and having their help knocking the Magic a little bit farther back and making the Nets' lives easier down the stretch is what Nets fans should be rooting for. So it looks like we're going to be rooting for, at least in the head-to-head games, the Pistons, the Pistons and the Heat down the stretch. Hornets should take care of themselves while those last two games coming back from 25 down and the fourth quarter versus the Celtics and that insane lamb buzzer beater on the second night of a back-to-back versus the Raptors were fun. That's not going to last and Kemba can't do this forever. So I think uh, those are our two buddies down the stretch, Blake Griffin and Dwayne Wade. So Nets fans, we have dug through the minutia of the schedule and we have come out about the same place on the other side. Hold on to your butts, everybody. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Nets underscore Pulse. You can email us on Gmail, NetsPulse at gmail.com. You can follow us on the Nets Discord. Uh, You can can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on, I almost said iCloud, but that's not true. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. And you can find us on Spotify. So keep listening. Thanks Thanks for joining us.